Hi, this is Mike from Realistic Sustainability, and welcome to 2022. 2022 has arrived with optimism and excitement. Well, for most of us, maybe a little timid here and there over the last couple of years, because they've been a little challenging with COVID and such. But it's also opened tons of possibilities. Here at Realistic Sustainability, Nick started a successful catering company called Tasty Bits, and my family and I are opening a learning and creator space named Dabble. Nick and I are both excited about the future, and our future isn't just limited to those adventures, but realistic sustainability too. With that excitement comes some setbacks also. During the holiday break, myself and my family contracted COVID. I know during the year-end episode, you probably heard me sound a little bit run down. Well, I guess I had it then. Although it's not life-threatening, none of us are having too extreme of symptoms. It has severely slowed down my ability to keep up with the show and getting them completed and produced. I've even left Nick out to hang a couple of times on appointments to record that I honestly just slept through. The holiday when you're an engineer is when you get a lot of this extra stuff done. You have a week or so off. We usually would record twice a day, every day, to prepare for a very, very busy season. Well, I slept through that. So it's a little bit of catching up for us to do. So with that being said, we pride ourselves in releasing our shows consistently always having something available. Last year, we released 103 episodes, and we don't plan on doing less this year. We don't want to go backwards. We want to hold that same intensity. But at the same time, I also need to rest and recover while preparing to open Dabble. And that could be a little challenging when you already have a full-time job. So for the next couple of weeks, there will be a post. But those posts will be some of our earlier episodes. I'm going to post a couple of reruns just to give us a little time to get our legs back underneath us. The shows are already been written. Don't worry, we do have new content coming. But this will allow us to, first of all, revisit some old fun stuff, but also give us time to get that new content created and uploaded. So I do appreciate your patience and understanding in advance. And I hope you enjoy some of the reruns, because when I listen to them again, I completely forget the optimism and the crazy thoughts we had going into this. Nick and I, I'm not sure we knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into when we decided to create realistic sustainability. So it does make it a lot more fun to go back and listen to the pilot or sustainability for noobs, which are the two that I hope to have for you in the next two weeks. Thank you so very much for listening to Realistic Sustainability and supporting our show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Realistic Sustainability Podcast. I'm here with Nick. Thanks for having me again. Again, absolutely. It's been a week. So how was your week? Cold. Uh, the weather, even though it, I know it's autumn, and I'm going to catch some uh, some flack for saying this, it's been chilly. I had to turn the heater on. To my dismay, I try to, it's like a game we play every year. I push it off and as, as far as I can until the blankets get just below the ceiling in the bedroom. And then I go, okay, let's turn the heater on. Let's be comfortable again. So... It's been cold, but it's been good. You know, no real complaints. Well, I can't say much. You heard on the way here that one of my sons decided to play battling climate controls. In my office upstairs, we have a heater and an air conditioner. And apparently at some point he decided it was too cold. So he turned on the heater. Now, in my household, you usually have to go through an approval process to turn on either the heat or the air. But uh, he bypassed that process, turned on the heat, and then realized, oh my goodness, It is way too hot up here. And decided to turn the air conditioning on, which wasn't vented outside. Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Yeah, so you have multiple heat sources. So our attic right now where I generally work is uh, somewhere around 85 degrees. That's perfectly comfortable for all of our senior citizens, okay? That is horrible. (laughs) And I joke, but, you know, it's a sustainability show. And I have to tell you, sometimes things just go right off the rails. And I don't think things can be more off the rails than having an air conditioner and a heater. Did you just make a joke? 
Did I make a joke? Did you make a joke? Is Are you saying because we I live in a town called Duran that is hugely behind trains? I, th- I The joke is because when you say things go off the rails and the things that are on the rails aren't exactly viable for sustainability. <laughs> yes, the, you mean the air conditioner and the uh, heater itself? No, I mean the... Big things that go chugga 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 choo choo. Yes. Uh, for any listeners out there who don't know, I live in a town called Durand who very, very, very much likes trains. And so there's, matter of fact, during some of these podcasts, you might actually hear a train in the background. There's not much I can do. The tracks are pretty close. So yeah, not the most sustainable piece of transportation. Definitely a, a mainstay in this town. I, I thoroughly enjoy trains. I enjoy any large piece of machinery that can move me with Little to no effect that I'm on it. If I can jump and bounce around and it doesn't move, I'm a fan. I understand that I probably shouldn't be, but I am. I think they're cool. Well, so here we are in our second full episode of Realistic Sustainability, and we're just bantering. So I just wanted to let you know, this is the second full episode of Realistic Sustainability. Uh, This is Sustainability for Noobs. We're just going to cover some of the the basics, the basic understanding, and get a little broader understanding from what we did on the very first episode, which was primarily introduce ourselves and just kind of talk about sustainability. This is an opportunity for us to start that dig a little deeper. This is going to be how we just take one piece of information and build off it day by day. So first of all, do you know what the definition of sustainability is? No, but I get this feeling you're going to tell me. Well, what's funny is in the industry, it has a common accepted definition. Because if you go into Google, it's not very clear. When I, when I was at the University of Michigan, it was a debated topic of what the definition of sustainability really was. Okay, so you and this, where, well, hold on, where, please repeat that. <laughs> at the, the University of Michigan, there was still a debate on exactly what the real definition, not of the word itself, sustainability, but the action of sustainability. So you went to school? Yes. And took classes on this? Yes. And they didn't know what they were teaching? Yes. Part of what a university is, is a discovery. So I was part of that discovery and got to discover it with others. Okay. Which to me is kind of cool. The definition that is generally accepted now within the sustainability field is the ability to sustain one's generation and their needs without sacrificing future generations' ability to meet their needs. Okay, so the generally accepted definition of sustainability does not, in fact, define the word sustain at all. Not whatsoever. So they could just say the ability to sustain and keep it as vague without helping people understand what it actually means. Because I, when you say sustainability, and I'm, I'm Joe Ignorant over here, I just take, kind of take it as a way to make things last, to renew them and move forward without any long-term negative effects. Well, and that's, I'm going to steal a quote from a, one of the books I love, which is Cradle to Cradle. Uh, sustainability takes forever. It's kind of the point. Nice. Like I that? like that. See, that's that cute. Is, it, that's, I'm telling you, it is the reality of it. The concept of sustainability is to make sure you never run out. What this definition that the community came together and decided that, maybe not the, the dictionary word sustainability, but the movement itself is based on, is not taking from the next generation. Well, another class at U of M. Something that was constantly told to the class was economics success is based on mortgaging the future. So for an example, companies cannot lose. They have to gain quarter after quarter. And it doesn't mean that they've lost money. They've lost gains. That is an unsustainable way to run a business. It doesn't make any sense. That you have to grow by more of a percentage than you did last quarter, every quarter, or it's considered a failure. So sometimes you'll hear a loss. It's not always a loss. It's just a loss of profits versus last year. It looks like a, it sounds, sorry, I did not mean to say looks. It sounds like a greedy person's way of saying, well, enough isn't enough and we need more to be good enough. And next year, that good enough is no longer good enough. Well, and, and it is a, a model of consistent improvement, which is a model that we want in sustainability, which is consistent improvement. But there is a limit. And in our financial world, they don't allow for a limit. So what happens is, is we start to mortgage the future of other generations' abilities to meet their needs. So that is one of the conversations we had also. And that's what this addresses, is that you have to do what you can do with what you have okay. without taking from those future generations, which we are already doing. So for an example, let's look at the world globally. 
Okay. Would you say this earth and the people on it are functioning sustainable? No. Okay, why? Okay, well, because generally speaking, um, there are, once again, from an ignorant person on the outside, we use up some natural resources in areas that don't have any faster than they can replenish. And so what we do is we end up taking them from one area and moving them somewhere else. And I don't believe there's an efficient way to go about that. I think that if people were taught efficient and intelligent and simple ways to better utilize what they have in front of them, we wouldn't have to shuffle things around. I don't think that there is a sustainable way to look at some of the things we create. They could take automobiles. You know, you were joking around about like the second time we're doing this, same decent day. We could have walked. We didn't. We did. But I have three cars. You have two. Two for each household makes sense. Two working people, two different careers, the need for two different vehicles because neither job is local. Within reason, you work out of your house. But, <laughs> well, that's a, that's uh, a new thing since COVID. But the requirement allows us to kind of justify needing that. But it's not necessarily sustainable in the sense that like, okay, so we don't have, like I, don't, I live a mile outside of, of my hometown. I could easily walk there if I wanted to get ice cream or food or dinner. It wouldn't hurt me. It'd take 10 minutes. I don't know the distance for where we're at from your house, but I assume it's if you take the long way, about a half mile. I mean, it's not, it's a block, block and a half. It's a it's, few blocks. Yeah. It's, it's not nothing. terrible, but we continue to drive. And if you continue to do things you don't actually need to do because of laziness or the desire versus the ignoring the necessity, then we're going to use it more than what we really have, in my opinion. And, and maybe I'm just kind of putting words together here, but I don't think it's sustainable. Well, when you talk about global sustainability, the first thing we all go to is materials. Yeah. We use way more wood than we can possibly grow. It's easy to say we use way more oil because it takes millions of years for the earth to produce it. So the earth just has to do a better job. I got it. Right. It's just not efficient enough for the rest of us. But mm-hmm. you know, on a global scale, there's a lot of sites that you could go out there and type in all these numbers, and it tells you how many Earths it takes to sustain your actions. But our Earth itself is so grossly warped on the haves and have-nots. Where, and bear with me, I just watched Sir David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet several times this week, so I may quote some things. One of those quotes is, As long as a tree is more valuable as a product than it is a habitat and an oxygen producer, it will always be knocked down. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And our global mindset is, get it while it's got. And anybody else who's watched that fantastic documentary has learned that the amount of forests have been just devastated in one person's lifetime. Mm-hmm. So that's just one generation. If what was 70% of you know of this forest space is now 25%. There isn't a third generation with trees. That's agreed. I agree with that. Or at least a tree, trees with habitats, because we replace them with kind of a sterile environment of palm oil trees mm-hmm. and perfect rows where nature doesn't create a home in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so globally, I don't think there's any question that in the current economic status, we are not a sustainable planet. Well, I don't think so. I think that most of like when you look at nature, when you look at the world and in the country we live in, we are fortunate in this state to have a lot of, I'm not going to say unexplored area because we know what's there. It's been explored. We know what's in the UP. We know what's in most of lower Michigan, but it's uninhabited. We have a lot of area in this state alone that is just kind of natural. It is just, it's the way it is. We have a very, very beautiful state. You know, living here my whole life, I was hated. I couldn't wait to get out. But as an adult, when you look back at it, like it's stunning to be here. The nature here is gorgeous. We're lucky in Michigan. We have we have the lakes. We have the forest. We have a lot of places that are I can't say untouched, but they are not visited very often. We have a lot of state forests that are protected. The wildlife in those forests are protected. We have a lot of very well respected areas. Yeah, and we have a state with a tremendous amount of hunters that respect that space. Absolutely. Uh, yes, there's a few who don't, and I know everybody's going to point out those few, but those few don't ruin it for the rest of us. There's a tremendous Tremendous amount of people out here who really do spend a lot of time being a part of nature, not being opposed to it. Absolutely. Now, when we think about that, that brings me to the next thing. How do we stand on a national scale? Does our country function sustainably compared to the rest of the world? I would assume not. I would assume that there's 50 states and the overall consensus and mentality of the general person, while obviously not cookie cutter, not identical, 
is just to kind of do what they can do to live their life. And so till people have the mindset to put, you know, the environment first with every thought they have or with that, with their daily lives, actually put something bigger in front of them. I don't think, I don't, I don't think we're sustainable. And I think compared to some other countries, I don't think we're even in the same ballgame. Well, and something you just said there was put the environment first. It's a sales pitch that people have used really since we saw the earth from space. Because a lot of the environmental movements started really getting traction once we saw Earthrise. The big, I have that, for those of you who know me, I have a massive canvas of Earthrise in my living room. It is my favorite photo, not only for its visual beauty, but what it meant to our civilization. It's very pretty. It isn't just putting the environment first. We made the joke on the, on the pilot that in the 70s and 80s, there was this huge push to leave a better world for our children. And you know, and I made the joke that we all collectively heard that, understood yeah. it, and went, nah, mm-hmm. I want stuff. Well, it isn't necessarily putting the environment first. It is respecting the environment. Mm-hmm. and finding a way to live our lives without massive changes in the way we do things that integrates in with nature. Mm-hmm. Yes, that means less waste. But is it that big of a difference in the world to not use a straw? And I'm not saying this for those who need a straw, but want to. We fill a school bus full of straws in use every day in the United States. Well, you got to figure, like, is it is it that big of a deal on a global scale if I, as an individual choose not to get a straw? No, I don't mean anything. However, one person versus 330 million people is a very large difference. Mm-hmm. So I think, look, on the last episode, you mentioned changing the culture. I think that with enough education, the culture could shift for a better, you know, a better tomorrow. And I think that if enough people think about it, that one person becomes a lot more powerful because that becomes the one becomes the many. Yep. I can tell you currently, nationally, obviously, we're not. So we are a large nation of consumers. Of course we are. And right now, unfortunately, a large nation of consumers does not function in a sustainable model. We are a consumer culture. It is patriotically sound to buy things you don't need or want. It is, oddly enough, unpatriotic. Or, I'm going to tell this story right now, I try to do an advertisement for greening your life. Mm -hmm. on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, a Facebook page, a book coming out, and Facebook rejected my ad as too political. The ad itself said absolutely nothing about politics. Matter of fact, the ad itself is just the about section Mm -hmm. from the site. Okay. And all it was a community or group of people looking to better their lives in in a sustainable format. But you would almost... Someone could argue, or not argue, but I guess argue in our favor that to consume is almost borderline the opposite of sustain. Mm -hmm. That in a consumer population, a consumer way of living, we are doing, not intentionally, mind you, but the opposite of what we should be doing. And when I say it like that, is no one one wakes up every day going, you know what, today I'm going to give the earth what for? I'm just going to waste as much as I can. No one does that. (laughs) Right. I hope. But... You know, I took my daughter out to lunch yesterday. We went to, uh, there's a new restaurant in Clio, and they brought us straws, and I opened mine up, because I know that once it's at the table, I know what happens. I might as well use it. Right. I opened it up, put it on my beverage, and she said, no, I don't need it, and she threw it to the side. And I and then I proceeded to lecture my 10-year-old daughter on, well, it's already here, so we have to, you know, this is the reason, this is what happens, blah, blah, blah. Then take it home so you can use it when you need it. Essentially, yes. So we, we had our meal. We had a good time. And at the end, the, the, the server asked us if we wanted any to go beverages. Rosie, to my pride, yep. And I already have my straw. And it was the <laughs> cutest thing I've, I've ever seen. She was adorable. It, it was perfect example of like, they already brought them. It's a single use item. It's a single use item that gets disposed of whether or not it's used. Yeah, that's one of the worst. The, the, the only thing worse than a single use item is a single use item that gets no use. Yeah, well, that, that, that's exactly right. We talked about that in, in our first episode, and that you know that made a dent on me. I explained that to her. I gave her that pretty much that whole. I'm, I'm going to call it a speech. I lectured my child <laughs> on process it takes to get there, and and you know what it means for that that one 
straw and i equated it to her with you know plastic grocery bags so i was like well what do we get at the grocery store we get bags what do we do with the bags she goes well we usually use them as trash bags I was like you're right we do after it's done they go in the trash can in my bathroom because we have them we need to get as much use out of them as possible and then when they are thrown when they're disposed of they serve that other purpose like i don't just want a single use item if i can't avoid it mm-hmm. and, it, and it was weird to get a rejection from Facebook as it being as it being considered a political hot point. I mean, granted, it is a election cycle period, mm. but nothing in this had anything to do with politics. Didn't show anything about politics. The only connection it had was it violated the standard consumer culture. Okay. Because even though you're right, you use those bags a second time, but it's not just that you use the bags. You didn't buy a trash bag liner. Mm-hmm. You know, when you reuse something, you're taking something that you would have bought, spent your money on, and you're no longer buying it. So that's a reduction in sales somewhere in the sales universe. And it was just so weird to find out that something as, as normal as Facebook was making me fit into a different kind of hole. I couldn't advertise it under sustainable or sustainability or sustainable energy. I had to advertise it as gardening, canning, you know, the the individual actions that we do anyways. So things that are sustainable. I could use the action. But, but the I, word was scary. The word okay. was was a controversial topic. Okay, Mr. Naughty. <laughs> but it's how funny that to to know that not buying something is a rebel act. Or remember Bush after 9-11, if we don't go shopping after this the the terrorists have won i i think that in in our i don't want to get too political on this um but or i think not that at all huh? <laughs> or not at all yeah like this let's, let's <laughs> not do that at all but i i think that as a consumer in a consumer or a capitalist built society i think that shopping is a necessity within reason but i think it's a necessity for necessities i think there's too much i want in our day-to-day lives and like so you mentioned the trash bag liners like okay so it kind of seems kind of pointless to go i didn't buy that seven dollar bag seven dollars fifty bags it seems like oh what kind of difference is that gonna make it makes a lot of differences seven dollars may not be a ton of money but if you don't spend seven dollars let's say every two weeks for or every month it's a hundred dollars a year almost so you've saved a hundred dollars you could put that towards something else And not only have you done that, you've reduced your actual carbon footprint by wasting less in your day-to-day life. And the way I'm wording this probably makes it sound a little scarier than it's meant to. I mean, it doesn't really take any effort or thought to go, oh, I need a trash bag, grab a little thank you bag from the Kroger and throw it in there. It's not like it's a rocket science. No no engineer is going to be like, you know what, this, demetrically, this fits perfect. It's not, (laughs) it's not like that. It's, oh... I was raised in a household that we, it's what we did, you know, and mm-hmm. as a child, we didn't have Tupperware. We had what's in the country crock container today. Right. Open it up. <laughs> hey, it's mashed potatoes. Excellent. <laughs> Once in a great while, you actually found butter. <laughs> That's well, a- and we talked about that last last week about, yep. you know, our grandparents. Uh, you know, when grandma died, I got a whole collection of Land Lake, you know, our blue bonnet uh, yeah. butter containers. And you can use them over and over and over and over until they start to fall apart. And you don't buy Tupperware and if, you don't buy a lot of other things. If you don't microwave them, they don't fall apart. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. So, but then you also have, for an example... You know, my wife, why are we saving these? We have nice Tupperware from the wedding. Mm-hmm. Well, it stays nice. It lasts longer because I'm using a handful of butter containers. But if we don't use them, they become useless. I agree. I would argue from, I guess, the devil's advocate here. I am not opposed to saving that kind of stuff. I The one I do are ice cream buckets. I save those. I mean, you know, I'm a fat person. When I buy the gallon of ice cream, I like that bucket. I do save. Mm-hmm. From a sustainability standpoint, it would make more sense, once you already have the butter container, to not buy it again and just buy butter and put it in the container Yep. and just reuse that plastic container. We do it with, um, okay, so I eat a lot of ice cream, and I do buy these small containers of ice cream. They come in a hard plastic cylinder with a screw-off lid. That's our standard butter container. Once the ice cream's gone, it's washed, and it's it's a nice reusable, it is, it's very nice. Uh, and We put butter in that, it sits on the counter all the time. Or, like right now, we've got a large Pyrex glass bowl that's got four or five sticks of butter on the counter with a lid, so they're nice and soft. Because I didn't want to buy it in a plastic tub. 
We yep. already have enough single-use plastic stuff in my kitchen. We, to my wife's dismay, don't have enough really nice Tupperware containers, really nice reusable containers, so we do save those. <laughs> if you open the cupboard on a day where we just did all the dishes and we haven't cooked a lot, there's a good possibility you're going to get buried with those things. But they come in handy and they're functional, and why throw them away if we don't need to? And, and it's really hard... At least where I, at least where we live. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, some of you listeners have you know more progressive cities that you're in. But it's hard for us to find a place where we can just go refill some. Yes, I just recently we have a farmers market in Lansing named Horrocks. It's Absolutely beautiful. amazing place. They've added all this self serve coffees, teas, mm. spices. Now there's a lot. You pick your own fruits and vegetables. You're not doing that store justice. I'm not. Um, it is an amazing place, and I'm now just learning the things I can do. I want to be able to refill my coffee there and bring my own containers each time I come. I could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every time I walk in that store <laughs> if I had the money behind me. Just in cheese, I could spend thousands of cheese. dollars. Cheese, Matt, there's full wheels of cheese. Yeah, there are. Beautifully aged Parmigiano Reggiano, a <laughs> hundred-year-old wheel of cheese. It is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I tapped into the chef part. You have no idea <laughs> what you did when you brought that store up. The more places like that we find, the better. I want to get to more places like that. I want to be able to take my containers I already have, weigh them, fill them, weigh them again, pay for only what I'm buying. Like for, we have so many trash cans at my house now. My son's wondering why is it, okay, we have a recycle for the for the metals. We have a recycle for the plastics. We get rid of, we use a lot of our paper products, either shredding through, laying them in the gardens or even mm-hmm. burning them for the ash. So our when we take the trash out, there's a lot less trash. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that as more and more stores allow for this purchasing, and granted, we live in a COVID world right now. That is very difficult for safety reasons. People bringing their own. I can't even bring my own bags yeah. into a grocery store right now. And I and I acknowledge that and I understand. But it is the direction we have to travel in because the plastics, uh, plastic wrapping oranges is silly. Yeah. It came with its own wrapping. Don't get me started on oranges or eggs. Eggs are a big one that drive me crazy. The concept of an egg, it's a... It, you know, the actual egg, the whites and the yolk, is protected by the shell. The shell is a shell. In itself, it is a defense. It is a layer of defense. Actually, for many, many years, you weren't even required on a commercial standpoint to refrigerate your eggs to keep them in the fridge if you were in like a, like a diner or a restaurant, commercial food service of any aspect. You didn't have to keep them refrigerated. And the argument behind that, well, they sit outside on the ground for 21 days while the chicken gestates and you know becomes a chicken. So if they sit outside for 21 days and something alive hatches out of it, should be fine in your air conditioned counter. Right. Same thing with oranges. You know, any type of uh, any type of citrus fruit's got that real thick rind on it. That's protection. It's beautiful. Yeah. Nature finds its own defenses. It has had millions of years to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And us throwing a layer of plastic over everything is just our own ignorance in many ways. I agree. One of my favorite things, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. One of my favorite things about shopping at Aldi is that you you encourage to bring your own bags. And if you don't you can purchase bags there, or they have boxes that you can fill with stuff. They don't have actual plastic thank you bags. So every time we go shopping at Aldi, on top of having pretty decent produce and meat, um, we just take a bunch of reusable 31 tote bags, and that's what we bring our groceries home in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've missed bringing my own bags as of late because it, it became a habit. Yeah. And on one of these future episodes, when we talk about building your positive footprint... When other people see you doing these things, we grew up in a town that is a little less progressive, that they think about the old the old ways of doing things and mock the newer ways. When other people start showing up and doing the newer things, it quiets the, the voice after a while. I, I agree, but I, I would like to add that I think the biggest thing that I would like to accomplish with any any change that I consciously make outside of the effects it has on my daily life is I'd like to invoke thought. I would like to see someone, have someone see me or my wife or my children do something, go, why are you doing that? And so we can explain it, not to preach it, not to chastise or lecture, but just to say, well, you know, I don't like having this much garbage and using this allows me to cut back on my waste. I think personally that if enough people just kind of do a couple easy, simple things, overall, the accumulative effect would be great. Yeah, the, it's funny because the 
you know, sustainability for noobs really boils down to conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All I really want people to do is stop and think for a moment Mm -hmm. before they do it. It doesn't mean you don't get the things you want. It doesn't mean I can't buy this carpet because I know how much energy is in it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to sacrifice every little thing and go live in the woods with a camper. It means I'm conscious of the decisions I'm making, that if I buy this carpet that I know takes a tremendous amount of energy and I'm covering beautiful hardwood floors and I'm making that choice, Mm -hmm. I take very good care of it and it lasts my lifetime. Mm -hmm. If I make a decision that I know violates my own standards at times, that I make sure it lasts forever. It's one of the things where it's, it's the juice worth the squeeze. So if you are going to consciously make a change that's going to make your life maybe a little harder or it's going to kind of cause more of a ripple effect, you thought about it, you've accepted it, and you're going to do it because it's what you've chosen to do. But you can't do that if you're not educated. You can't make that decision if you don't know. Well, and you know, after watching the, the Netflix series that I just told you about earlier, I've decided to eat a little lower on the food chain. We eat less beef in the house now. If we... If we have beef, it's smaller portions, larger meal. So other items, we add a salad to it. We add, I've found Brussels sprouts to be kind of really so delicious. Tasty. <laughs> now that my wife has cooked them and not me, they're just delectable. So we can have a lot of that. We can have a lot of broccoli. I like these things and have a smaller portion of steak. I can eat lower on the food chain. So I think, I'm going to ruffle feathers, but I'm about to say it right now. <laughs> The meat and potatoes mentality that is ingrained in the American blue-collar Midwest DNA is completely backwards and that you are learning right now what they used to know 100 years ago, that you have to have a certain balance, like actual balance in your meal. Now, we don't, this is where the, the, the feather ruffling comes in, we don't need that much protein. You don't need meat every day. You don't actually need meat at all. Um, it's delicious and I love it. And if anyone that has ever seen me knows I like to eat and there is nothing that I like more than a big, fat, juicy steak. I think they're delicious. I love them. It is one of my favorite things. But at the end of the day, does the average human need to intake 16 to 20 ounces of beef per meal? It's Not a pound. even close. No. And I'm, I'm speaking as a person who does that. Not every meal, but if I go out to dinner and we go to a steakhouse, I get the big ribeye. Or I get the biggest New York strip they have. I'm eating 20 ounces plus of beef, plus sides, plus bread, plus this. I'm eating thousands of calories of food that I don't need. I want it. I'm a glutton for it. I don't need it. It's so much further than what it's going to take for me to sustain myself. So when you're talking about eating less beef and more vegetables, it's actually better for you. And not even from a sustainability, just to sustain your body, to make your body healthier. It's better for you. And I firmly advocate more Brussels sprouts. That is that I'm gonna. That's gonna be my my soapbox moment. More Brussels sprouts across the country. Every house a Brussels sprout a day. Well, the uh, purple cabbage. Oh yes, absolutely. It's delicious. I uh, shaving that up, mixing it in with my greens. All of this is new. Like Uh I am. I I, before any of my education, it was primarily Stouffer's. You know, and disgusting. uh, Dry. Anything else, I, everything I cooked was dry. Everything I, you know, now I'm trying to make things, and you told me better food comes from better ingredients. That part's true. Going back to Horrocks, bought all these things, and the food was absolutely better than going to the restaurants, by far. And we're able to eat exactly what we want, at the portions that we want, at a third of the cost or less. And it is absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I've been okay thus far with reducing that meat intake. Okay, so you maybe just you know kind of think of something. You talk about uh, better food, and we talked about, I, I did say better ingredients. You just said better than a restaurant, okay? Now, that is a drop in the bucket of truth for where we're at. So the place we live, mm-hmm. in Michigan, I love this state. The state primarily economically built on the automotive industry. Now, what I'm going to say, ruffling feathers all over. Here we go. <laughs> Is the chef in him again. Oh, nope. This is the jerk in me. Um, the people that, that worked in the automotive industry, and I'm not knocking them, they had a certain way of living. And, and obviously not everyone. This isn't going to apply to everyone. But there was a lot of those guys who needed quick, cheap meals in between shifts at their factory jobs. Tons of factory jobs, mind you. And so you've seen an explosion in the Midwest of these small, greasy spoon diner restaurants. That serve really fast, out-of-the-bag crap food. 
Now, I'm not saying that I'm above that. I'm not being a snob. I do eat it. I love jalapeno poppers as much as the next guy. I love hash browns. I love waffles. I do like to eat. However, if you, as a person, as a consumer, can go to the store and very cheaply produce a much superior meal, then why would you go and spend your hard-earned money on something that you're just not happy to eat. If it's not just an outing, if it's not an experience of some kind that my wife wants to go and, and experience, there's no reason to anymore. We cook it at home. Well, my thought process is that the whole premise of a meal is, and I'm, I think I'm quoting a, a movie called Kate and Leopold from the 90s, a meal is for reflection. When you eat, when you sit down at the end of your day and you have dinner, what do you do? You talk about your day. You And if you haven't seen your significant other for a good portion of that day, whether they're at work, you're at work, that's generally where the conversation derives or about your kids or school. Like you're meant in that moment to enjoy each other's company. It's a lot easier to do when you're eating something that's absolutely delicious. Now, I'm not saying that every single person should be a trained chef. God knows if there were more of you, I wouldn't have a job. But I do think people should... Take a little more time to understand where their food comes, what it takes to get it there, and that better food means better ingredients, and better ingredients mean better food. Now, it takes a better cook to make great meal out of bad ingredients, but when you watch the success of these businesses, and there's a lot of them, it doesn't really say a whole lot for... The future, talk about sustainability, I'm talking about sustaining the food industry in this state, doesn't say a whole lot for for the possibility to have a nice restaurant. So when you can go to a greasy spoon and get a a really bad meal for for $6, no one's going to want to go to a nice restaurant and pay 12 or 14 bucks for a nice meal. And that's not even really out of the realm of possibility, and it's not really all that much. I'm a person that I will go spend a couple hundred dollars to take my wife out to a beautiful meal because it's perfect, and it's made from scratch, by someone who loves what they do. That's not sustainable in the long run for my finances. Right. (laughs) But for my body, my body deserves the best, and so does everyone else's. You deserve to give your body the best chance of succeeding. Sustainability happens in so many different aspects of life. Here we talk about the food, you know, and the health that comes along with it. But that's water quality, air quality. Sustainability isn't just the materials we use and the ways we reduce. The wife and I just took the kids to like a Halloween experience. And as you were talking, I thought of one of the waste scenarios. They had these huge cannons set up with air Mm -hmm. pressure and it was shooting apples at a target. And that here we are in Michigan where apples are an abundance. And it's not like you can't use an apple if it's flawed. You can't sell an apple individually if it's flawed, but we make apple sauce and apple pie and all these other things. There's more uses for ugly apples than pretty ones. Right. And here, here I was standing at this event knowing that there's places even in Michigan where people are starving. Mm -hmm. And we're firing perfectly good food as a projectile. Yes. At targets. Mm -hmm. Sustainability is something that you you start to see it in all these different ways. And you start, every time you look at something, you'll catch yourself maybe even being a little appalled by what you're seeing. It's not like that stuff's just going to sit there and rot. It it is not helpful other than for entertainment. Could we have put something else in there? You know, could we have not had that event and had different events? There's a lot of different things. Sustainability isn't just materials, health food. It's how we operate in life. Our mental wellness. It is, do we cook our own food so we know what goes in our body? Do we grow our own food or at least some of our own food? You know, so when when we think of sustainability, there isn't a limit to where it fits. No, I, I agree with that. It's no secret to like, like you've mentioned it a number of times and I'll talk about food a lot, but like I do work in food. And so you talk about things that appall you. I had a moment two days ago. I stopped at a gas station for fuel. So everyone knows what a gas station looks like. You pull in, gas pumps. Generally, there is a trash can. And the other side, there is usually another trash can or a little thing where you can wash your windows. This particular gas station had pallets of bagged apples. Deer bait, can't call it bait, but deer bait, of these beautiful, and and let's say there was 25 bags per pallet, one pallet at the end of each gas pump, and most of the apples were stunning. I mean, these were not bee apples. These were beautiful apples. Yeah, beautiful. but aren't they the bitter ones or the ones, the crab apple or whatever it is? No. No? No, these were Cortland's. These were Gala's. These were Fuji's. These are beautiful. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with apples. So the term blush is when a light-colored apple, usually a green or a yellow, 
it has a lot of cold nights and it cycles as it matures and it turns kind of a reddish pink color that's called a blush so these were all blushed apples so maybe they weren't necessarily grown in the most ideal environment but they're in no way shape or form a bad apple there was no dents no bruises no pits nothing they were just gorgeous apples yeah there were some ugly ones yeah in a, in a 20 pound bag there was probably 15 apples that were probably not ideal but these were just beautiful beautiful pieces of fruit and and as for the bitter ones bitter apples serve a purpose you don't bake with the sweet apple you bake with a bitter apple a bitter apple actually has a deeper flavor it's just not sweet so no one wants to pick it up and eat it well, that's why you add sugar when you take your those bitter apples and you add your sugar and you cook it it's got a gorgeous flavor but here we are i'm sitting there pumping gas looking at all these you know these these things that are just Truthfully, I'm going to quote another movie. In the movie uh, Burnt, it says, God created the apple and the oyster. And you can't improve recipes like that, but it is our job to try. There is nothing more beautiful than a perfect piece of fruit in terms of flavor. And, and it came from nature. No one cooked this. It just grew on a tree. And you right. pick it. Natural sugars. You just bite into it and you taste life and vibrance and and love and and it's just wonderful and generally most people if you eat an apple now maybe you you're sucked back to when you're your little kid you're eating your parents cut them up for you eat it with peanut butter whatever the thing you have them at school and here i am staring at this this essentially bag of memories this bag of food that no one's going to get to enjoy it's going to rot it's going to go bad what's actually going to happen is it's we're going to have a hot day and those aromas are going to seep out and bees and bugs and all these things are going to be attracted to this then they're going to get thrown away because they're attracting pests. Right. Well, and, and then it, it's a total waste. And it's not even, it, maybe those were good apples that were just too small. See, that's one of the things I like about when we go to that, when I go to that other market, they, mm-hmm. they now do everything by the pound. So it doesn't matter if it's you at a restaurant or me as a, as an individual consumer, mm-hmm. I can kind of look through for the size cabbage I want. The small one is okay for my household. Always buy it for your use. I and, agree. And for you, if, if it's a restaurant use, you're grabbing the big one because you've got multiple uses. You're, you're going to need a few of these. So if everything was based by the pound and not per or three ninety nine a bag where mm-hmm. all of them have to look identical in a plastic bag, mm-hmm. and you could just pick and choose, that there are uses for smaller apples. I have smaller children who would eat half of a big apple. And waste the second half because it now browns or, you know, uh, I have to cut off that little section so that it seems appealing. But a smaller apple, delete the whole thing. Purchasing should, in a perfect world, be done based on education of use. So, as a consumer, for me, if I'm shopping for my house, my children love fruit. They love it way more than I'm ever going to. I may respect fruit and see all these these wonderful ways that I think it's beautiful. At the end of the day, if I have a sweet tooth and it's 9 o'clock at night and my options are a gorgeous apple or a stunning orange or a pint in Ben and Jerry's, guess where I'm going? <laughs> the Ben and Jerry's. But well, and that's been kind of driven into our... It is. And I'm not going to dive into that. But there are a lot of uses that you, you're right. You, so you go to the store, it's a five-pound bag of apples. I want to make applesauce. I need... This recipe calls for one and a half pounds. But the smallest bag they have is five pounds. Am I going to make three batches of that? No. So now I've got a bag of fruit that's just going to sit there. My children will eat it, so it gets used. It really does. But if I was able to purchase based more around what I actually need and what I'm going to use versus what I am what I have to buy, I think it'd be a little bit better in the long run. Well, I caught myself, and, I, and I'm going to move us on after this, but for the longest time, I, I, we'd sit there and make these dinners for the kids, and there's always something on the plate. Kids are going, eh, I don't want that. I don't want to eat this. I don't want to eat that. And my daughter one time wanted more strawberries. And I said, and I quote myself, not until you finish your fries. (laughs) And at that moment, I went, wait, your father's not very intelligent. Throw the fries away and have as many strawberries as you want. And from that point on, I realized when we built this thing around dinner, that if there was an item someone didn't want, they could substitute it with another item from the table. I can cut up green peppers i can cut up red peppers strawberries plums all kinds of things and it's a side yeah and i can skip the the flavored packaged rice or noodles with too much butter and parmesan i can skip the filler with nutrients yeah and not only can you but you you should because (laughs) 
No, I, I'm serious though. Like on top of it being healthier and better, if you go to the grocery store and you spend three hundred dollars on groceries for a family of five, that's not uncommon for two weeks to three weeks. You, it's a lot of food, but mm. you're a lot of people. So you're packaged a filler, your rice, your barley, your rice roni, your Uncle Ben's is going to be just as good on day one as it is on day 5,432 sitting in that shelf. But those strawberries, those blueberries, those gorgeous apples, those wonderful pieces of fruit aren't going to last very long. So why not let your child enjoy them? Why not let them eat them as, well, much, as, as much as you bought? Because otherwise your money's going to get thrown away because for the sake of the French fry. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. The, and, and you hit a point that we're going to have to talk about in a later show. Which is all this super cheap stuff that will last forever or higher priced items that are good for you that have a finite shelf time. I would like to do an entire show on food. Yeah, I I assume we're going to end up doing some shows on more than just food in general, but like sections of food topics we have you we're going to use that yeah but but let's i'm going to move us on we have i had i had shaken the fruit tree and brought out the chef and no uh, idea but i am going to go back to a little bit of this sustainability basic education which is first of all there is three pillars of topics or understanding that fit with sustainability Mm -hmm. two of them everybody agrees with one of them almost always causes an argument and i'm going to defend it a little bit today obviously the first pillar is the environment whatever we do needs to be integrated within the environment not the removal of the environment okay so that biodiversity of the life in the area in which we decide to inhabit can stay you always see expressways with land bridges Mm mm-hmm is that the best way? Absolutely not. But it does help keep some biodiversity moving back and forth. You know, so building within the environment instead of removing the environment for our building. That's the first pillar of sustainability. The second is the social aspect. How we treat each other. How what we do affects people. It affects their health. How it affects their mental wellness. All of these things that tie back to us as being human. So that's more of an educational pillar because I I still I still mandate that an educated person will always make the best decision. Maybe not the best decision by someone else's standards, but if you give someone all the information if they're truly educated on the effects they have with what they're doing, they're going to make a better choice. I I have to in some case disagree. Okay? And I do that because we watched we watched corporation after corporation ran by person after person do egregious things or make decisions knowing the risk i'm not going to get on it right now but i guarantee i will talk about the flint water crisis and my experience in that and the decisions made that directly affected so many i i agree and i when we talk about that i'm going to push this point that i am referring to the average blue collar person not a money laundering greedy corporate executive and that's where this is going to (laughs) end well and that's the so when we look at the social aspect any decision we make also has to be in the benefit of society does it promote culture Mm-hmm. Does it promote a connective thread between us all? Not split us apart, make us oppose each other. And then the last pillar, which always gets some kind of pushback, is the economic side of sustainability. And nine times out of ten, what you're going to hear is, well, that's the money side. It can't fit. People don't like it when you mess with their money. They don't like that. But this is more of a understanding that you can't destroy economic groupings and economic processes without harming the environment and the social aspect. You have to be able to make a transition. You and I were talking about oil just before we recorded this and how it's dead. That that industry, along with coal, there is barely a pulse. Okay. It is already making that move. But if we were to shut it off tomorrow, unprepared for the day after, what happens? Well, if you, it, like we talked about, and this is kind of a hot, hot topic or a hot button with people. When you when you present them with that you know that future without it, it's never presented a whole picture. It's always like coal's got to be done, oil's got to be done, but they never really explain to people that there has to be a system in place to replace it. 
Yes, it's an entire industry that has thousands, hundreds of thousands of workers. So if you were just to pull the plug, that's a huge portion of the demographic that's just gone. Like they can't, they have, they no longer have an income. They don't have food for their families. So you have to be able to slowly do that so you can replace it. Pull this system out, put a new one in. At one point in houses, they had what natural gas or gas for lighting. They had torches built into the wall that you lit for lighting. Now we have electricity. Mm-hmm. Systems don't just go overnight. You have to slowly change them. And, and whoever owns or is a part of those old systems digs their heels into the ground and does what they can to not move it because there's just a period of time left. They know there's only a finite time of yeah. profits left. But when people look at the economic states, it is a process to move from one to the other. There is just as many jobs in clean energy if we were moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. As matter of fact, there's more in clean energy. When you're developing a new industry, it takes more people to do it than a hundred-year-old industry that has learned to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle its headcount. Yeah, absolutely. And it make it more efficient. So when we talk about the three pillars and you're listening to this, be mindful. There are reasons for all three pillars. And without any one of them, the chair falls. All three aspects have to be looked at. And I'm hoping through these conversations, we have more and more discussions. People send more and more comments. We have more and more visitors with different perspectives that help us see more angles of everything we're looking at because absolutely that is how we all become more sustainable is hearing something new and implementing it into your thought pattern before i start to to wrap today up sustainability functions on those three pillars economic environmental and social Mm -hmm. we are not just thinking about materials but how we operate in life our health our community our mental well-being how we're nourishing ourselves, both mentally and physically, Mm -hmm. and how we're functioning within our environment. No different than are we building within the environment? Are we functioning within our environment? Are we looking at our waste, wondering what we can reduce? Are we looking at our energy consumptions with my son playing battling banjos of the air conditioner and heater? Are we thinking about the biodiversity of wildlife? What about recycling? I'm hoping that over the next however many years we are able to do this show, we get to dive into those details and we all learn a little more. That's why I'm here. I need to learn more. I need to learn more so I can teach my kids. I mean, from water conservation to protecting our Great Lakes, we all have to kind of work together in education. We vote with our dollars and we vote with our votes, but we can't do it unless we know. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Realistic Sustainability. This was Sustainability for Noobs. I'm Mike, and I'm signing off. Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate everyone listening to everything we are going to talk about, and I promise you there is more rambling to come, and I will try to keep the Apple topics toned back from future (laughs) episodes. And uh, the bottom of my heart, thank you. I appreciate you joining us. If you liked the show, consider sharing it on social media or sending it to a friend. The more that hear it, the more exposure we get. We appreciate it greatly. If you have any comments, you think something we've said here today is controversial, send it to us. You can send it to the contact us of greenyourlife.org or feel free in your, to leave a review in your favorite podcast platform. Again, I appreciate your time and we'll see you next week. Bye.